I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. I hate to interrupt you visiting with one another. It's one of my favorite things to see all the handshakes and the greetings and the hugs and the, can I hold the babies and oh, what this is so cute and it's so good to be with one another as a church family. But we do want to enter into God's Word. Good singing this morning, by the way. And thank you, Darla, for pinch hitting over here at the piano. It's a... Uh, it's wonderful to have you doing that. Amy Joe said last week, you're going to make fun of cantatas. I'm not coming next Sunday. Actually, she was taking May Lee back to college this Sunday. She did say, you're going to make fun of cantatas. You're going to be at choir practice on Tuesday night at 6.30. So I'm coming. And so guys, if anybody, if anybody else wants to join choir at the last second, they're taking me at the last second. We'd love to have you come and join us too. I heard some, there is power, power down in there. Some under-registers, guys come on out and help us sing at, uh, this Tuesday night at 6.30. Last week, we began a, a new series, a short sermon series, that focuses our attention on the cross of Jesus Christ. We do that every Sunday, I hope, but, but this month we want to focus in with laser focus on what Jesus did for us, what we just sang about, it, it, the blood. Every Sunday this month, we're singing, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Last week, the words up here were red. This week, they're white as snow. Last Sunday, we started the series in the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. We read Isaiah chapter 53. And we heard the prediction of the submissive, suffering servant who sacrificed himself for our sins. A prophecy made over 700 years before Jesus came and fulfilled it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus paid it all. Now this week, I want us to begin by reading a New Testament account of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. John chapter 19 tells us the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. The older I get, the harder it is for me to read the story of the crucifixion. Because I just understand it better. It's more real. It's more terrible what happened. It's more awful. But it's also more precious. Before we read this, would you pray with me? Lord, familiarity breeds contempt. And we've seen that. You do it a hundred times and you almost forget you're doing it. And that has benefit because it ingrained something in us. 
But you can also just say the cross, blood, death, pierced, crushed, stricken, cut off, and not think about what that means. We don't want any contempt for the cross. We want to see it and feel it and know it in our mind and heart to not to experience it, but to, but to comprehend in some small way what Jesus went through for us. So help us to stand at the foot of the cross and see the suffering of our Savior. And then to have it ripple out into our life. So we don't, we don't say, well, that's interesting, and then go and live a different way. But to live cross-shaped lives. Cruciform lives. Help us to see what John 19 is teaching us. And what Jesus' cry from the cross means for us today. We pray it in His name. Amen. Our chapter for today begins with a flogging. Verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had Him flogged. Just that. Just that sentence should make us wince. And if we think about it long enough, make us weep. I've never seen a real flogging. I think I'd throw up if I did. By His wounds, by His stripes, we are healed. But it was much more than a flogging. Verse 2, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. A mocking crown. Oh, you're a king? Well, let me make a crown for you. It's got these jagged edges. Let's push it onto your head so your scalp bleeds. They clothed them in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate's a wimp. He knows it's a travesty of justice, and yet he's saying, well, you do it. I wash my hands of it. 
The Jews insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die. Is that true? It's not true. Because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back into the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Verse 10. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Judas. But it's all part of God's plan. Or as we saw last week, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, then you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. This is from the Jews. The Jews are telling Pilate what his, what his duty is to Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Not to these people. Verse 15. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar! The chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. And then the really unthinkable occurs. Verse 17. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. We can't understand what this means. Nailed to a cross? How many times have we sung our songs, hymns, and spiritual songs about the cross? We're thinking about lunch when we're singing about this cruel instrument of torture and asphyxiated death. Verse 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Well, that stuck in their craw. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Just in case you wondered, this is who this is. 
The chief priests and the Jews protested to Pilate. Don't write king of the Jews, but that the man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, nah, 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 nah. What I have written, I have written. And whether he believed or not, it was true. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes. That means he was virtually, at least, naked. The shame. The blood. The pain. The shame. They took his clothes. And they took it home with them. Somebody took Jesus' clothes home with them. There's probably four of them. And they all took a piece of clothes home. That week they wore our Savior's clothes. Or sold it. Dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Instead of everybody taking home a piece, let's just let's roll for it. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. They didn't know it. But they were fulfilling Scripture. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood His mother. Have you seen your child die? Can you imagine seeing your child die like this? His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw His mother there, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, we think that's John, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. What love? He's arranging an adoption as he hangs on the cross. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And now he's coming to the end. Verse 28. Later. Knowing that all was now completed, and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I'm not sure how many passages of Scripture were being fulfilled right there, but Isaiah 53 is in the mix. Jesus knew that He was fulfilling Scripture, and a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now listen. Here's our verse for today. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Now, in English, those are three words. But in Greek, it's just one word, tetelestai. It is finished, or it is completed, or it is accomplished. See, this is not a cry of desperation. I think when I was a kid, I thought it was. It's like he was yelling, I am finished. I'm done. I'm done for. I'm I'm out of here. That's not what he's saying. This is a cry of triumph. It's a cry of victory and 
accomplishment. He's saying, it's done. I've done it. He set out. He has done what he has set out to do. He has fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53. He has borne the sin of many. He has made intercession for the transgressors. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. John used that same word tetelestai in verse 28 in the Greek to say all was now completed. Tetelestai. It says Jesus knew that it was all completed and so He said it was all completed. This wasn't just something He was randomly throwing out there. He felt it in His bones. He had done it. He had won. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. History tells us that this word tetelestai was often written on a business document or a receipt to indicate that a bill had been paid in full. Like there was no more payment required. Like the red stamp we put on a, on a bill these days. Paid in full. Tetelestai. When Jesus cried, it is finished, He was saying, it is finished. Did you ever pay off a debt? How good it feels? Burn the mortgage or, you know. I remember I paid off my school debt once. I, there was a, we had school loans and we got, received a gift and we wrote a check out for the whole remaining amount, mailed it off. I didn't even keep the paperwork around. I could throw that file away. That's what Jesus is saying. Paid in full. With his last dying breath, this is what he yells out. It is finished. But what if it wasn't? Today I want us to do a little thought experiment together. I want us to think some truly terrible things so that we can truly appreciate what is true. I want us to ask the questions on the back of your bulletin. What if Jesus had not paid at all? Now, I don't mean what if Jesus had never come or if, if Jesus had never died. That would be terrible too. But, but just this morning, what... What if Jesus' death was not enough? What if it wasn't sufficient? What if Jesus' death was a partial payment for our sin and not a full one? Last week we emphasized the word paid. In Jesus paid it all. This week I want us to really meditate on that last word. All. Jesus paid it all, but what if He'd only paid it some? Now, you might be asking the question, why do we even need to think that way? Why would we do this little thought experiment, Pastor Matt? Sounds like a dystopian nightmare. It is. I believe it helps us to know and appreciate what we have when we realize what we would lose 
if we didn't have it. For example, I didn't know what a gift good digestion was until I lost it last summer. When you lose something or, or something is threatened to be taken away from you, that's when you know how precious it is. So let's think about how precious it is that Jesus cried, it is finished. By thinking, what if He had said, now it begins. On the cross, He's hanging there and He says, here you go. Here's the first part. Now it's up to you. And He dies. What would that mean for us? What if Jesus had not paid at all? So many ways we could go with that dystopian idea. I have two that I want us to consider this morning. Number one, unending work. Unending work. If Jesus' payment for our sin was only partial, you and I would still have a lot of work left to do. Somebody has to earn our salvation. And if Jesus' death only got us so far, then we'd have to get to work earning our way to God. And you know what? That's how a lot of people think it works. People think that Christianity is about doing good works to please God. Yeah, Jesus died for our sins, sure. But that can't be enough. I've got to do something to contribute to all of this, right? Do you know what we call that doctrine? We call it legalism. Legalism is the doctrine that we must work to earn our salvation. It's a performance mentality. If I perform well, then God will reward me. In fact, really, He'll owe me. Maybe Jesus gets me in the door but I have to keep myself in the room by my good works. Is that how the system works? Well, if Jesus' death was not enough, then we'd certainly be on the hook for it. But that's not how it works. I got the idea for this message from a parody of Jesus Paid It All called Jesus Paid It Some by Stephen Altrogi. When I saw this online, it really made me think. Jesus paid it some. I hear the Savior say, you're not doing enough. Work your fingers to the bone. I'll save those who are tough. Jesus paid it some. I'll do the rest. Sin had left a crimson stain. Now I'll give it my best. For now indeed I'll try to earn your love and grace. I'll add the works I have to complete the price you paid. Jesus paid it some. I will do the rest. Sin had left a crimson stain. Now I will give my best. And when before the throne, I'll give my deeds to you. I'll hope I've done enough to make you let me through. Jesus paid it some. I will do the rest. Sin had left a crimson stain. Now I will give my best. And he says, repeat the refrain three times, just to be sure. 
Isn't that terrible? It almost sounds right. So many of those phrases are how we tend to think. And yet it is so awful. How would that affect you? If Jesus paid some and you had to make up the difference. Well, one way I think it would change me is it would foster my pride. Wouldn't it? Pride. I mean, if I were contributing to my salvation, then I would have something to boast about. Sure, we'll sing about Jesus. Woohoo! Yes. But did you see what I did? I think in this regard of the parable Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you'd like, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. It's Pew Bible, page 1038. Starting in verse 9 of Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. Remember that word from Romans? Dikaiosune? And therefore looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, which one of those is supposed to be the good guy? Okay, when you hear somebody starts to, you're in the first century, you're a Jew, and somebody's going to tell a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector, which one has the white hat and which one has the black hat? Who has the white hat? The Pharisee, yeah. This guy is named Pharisee Matt. He's got the white hat. And he walks into the temple, he's going to pray. And this other guy, the, the tax collector, what kind of hat is he wearing? Black hat. It's kind of that, that uh, old western noise when, they, when the, uh, the doors to the saloon open. You know, when this guy walks in, right? Tax collector, ugh! Low, dirty, down extortionist who works for the oppressive government. Ugh. That's how you feel. The Pharisee, Matt, stood up and prayed about himself. Oh, wait. Prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What's he saying? I contribute to my salvation. Oh, I thank you, God, for it. But I'm glad I'm in there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I do, I do, I do. I work hard for the Lord. I do good deeds. I'm confident of my own righteousness. But the tax collector? He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home, what's he say? Justified. That's dedikaiominos. That's dikaiosune, applied to his account before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
See, that's what happens when you contribute to your salvation. When you become confident in your own righteousness, you get proud. And remember what Dave Learish said about pride two weeks ago. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Raise your hand if you want God to oppose you. But I can see how someone might want Jesus' death to not be good enough for them. So they can get some credit for being good and doing good. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, it is by grace, sheer grace, you have been saved. Through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one but God. When Jesus said, it is finished, He had paid it all. So He gets all the glory. Now it's true that we do have work to do. That's the kernel of truth there in this lie. Yes, we do have work to do. But we are to do our good works, not to pay our part, but out of gratitude for His grace. Paul goes on to say, after saying that salvation is not at all by works, it's by grace, verse 10 of chapter 2, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So humble yourself and do good works, but don't try to pay your way. You'll only get proud. And you'll also get desperate. I believe that the legalist who is being honest with himself will eventually move beyond pride and into despair. Because we'll see that our good works are never enough. When we realize that the standard is perfection and that we will never match up to it, then if we also come against a Savior whose death only gets us into the door but doesn't get us home, then we will despair. We'll lose hope. We'll get depressed. We'll fall apart. I know I would. There are a lot of religious, there are a lot of religions out there that tell their followers to be good people and to add what Jesus has done to make it home. Some of those religions call themselves Christian. But if they are teaching that we add to our salvation by our works and that we make up for what Jesus has left undone, then they are preaching a false gospel that does not honor Christ and cannot save. And I worry about folks trapped in those religious systems because it's got to be depressing. It's got to wear them down. Unending work. When will we, when will we be good enough? When will I have racked up enough points to be saved, to be secure, to be safe? Or do I have to get some good works from others? From other people, even dead saints, to go on my account? Don't despair. Jesus did pay it all. Jesus did say, it is finished. Our redemption is paid in full. Now some people hear that and they think, well... 
if it's already paid, then why should I be good? I mean, Jesus paid the debt, so why not sin so that grace may abound? What do we say to that? Meganoita, right? May it never be. We learned that back from Paul in Romans. I don't think so. No way, Jose. That's not how it works. If Jesus paid it all, then I'm going to hate sin and fight against it. My life is fundamentally changed by that full payment. Why would I want to add to what put Jesus on the cross? No, don't despair. Hope in Jesus. Number two and last. What would it mean for us if Jesus had only paid it some? Unending punishment. Not only would it mean that we have a lot of work left to do, but it would also mean that we had a lot more punishment to absorb. Feel that for a second. Just feel John 19 and Isaiah 53 and say, if that wasn't enough, then I deserve to get the rest. What Jesus went through is what I deserved. Do you believe that? That's Christianity and it's it's amazing. There are people out there who don't think this way. They think that people are pretty good. That people just need a little push in the direction of, of being good. If people do bad things, it's because mom taught them that way. All they need is a little re-education. Or maybe they don't have enough money. All they need to do is, is, is they need just a little hand up. But if we're good, why did Jesus have to be pierced and crushed and stricken and cut off? When we see the wounds of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus on the cross, we realize how ugly, how blameworthy, how culpable, how shameful our sin really is. As the hymn says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. But what if it isn't finished? Then we have some more punishment to absorb. And it would only be justice. If it wasn't for Jesus' sacrifice, then we should get the punishment that we so richly deserve. And it would be eternal. It would be unending punishment. Jesus' death satisfies the righteous requirement of God's justice because Jesus was innocent and infinite. The precious blood of Christ without blemish or defect. Jesus was able to take our place and basically experience and absorb the infinite wrath of God for the sins of His people. And because He was innocent and infinite in value, 
that payment was sufficient and Jesus was resurrected and vindicated. We're going to sing it. We're going to raise the roof in a couple of weeks on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. He was vindicated by his resurrection. But don't believe that your rebellious sins against an infinitely perfect God would be so easily paid for by your finite death. It will take an eternity in conscious eternal torment to pay for any sins which were not covered by the blood of Jesus. Yes, God's holiness is that valuable. No amount of penance, no amount of purgatory will pay our remaining debt. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Two implications of that. First, we've got to trust in the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone. Remember Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, dikaiosune, applied to our account, freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement a hilasterion, a propitiation through faith in His blood. In other words, Jesus paid it all. So trust in Jesus alone. And tell other people to do that too. We've got to share this message with others. Because there is unending punishment for those who do not trust in the blood of Jesus. His blood is so powerful It is finished. It's paid in full. But people have to put their faith in that finished work of Christ. And here's another implication. I hope it's encouraging to you today. Your sufferings today are not punishment for your sins. Your sufferings today are not punishment for your sins if you're in Christ. Jesus paid it all. He took all of the punishment. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Zero zip zilch. No punishment. Yes, you're suffering. Your suffering is real. It is painful and it hurts. Jesus understands that. Jesus is the man of sorrows. He gets it. He walks with you you through your pain, whatever it is. But He took your punishment. So whatever reasons God has for allowing that suffering in your life, none of them are punitive. Does that help you? It helps me when I think, Why did I, what did I do to deserve this? Well, on one level I could say, well, everything. I deserve it. But the Gospel says nothing. My suffering is for my good. My suffering is for God's glory. My suffer, suffering is evil and wrong and painful and not good and, and not enjoyable. It's a result of the fall and the curse. 
It may even be on some level a consequence of my own sin. But it's not punitory. It is not condemnation. It is not washing away my sin. It is not paying for my sin. Jesus paid it all. I'm guessing that some of you need to hear that today. I know that some of you are going through horrendous things. Let this lighten your load, if just a little bit. Don't take away the suffering. But know that God is not punishing you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Because Jesus said with His last dying breath, Tetelestai, it is finished. We could go on. We could take apart every blessing that the cross brings us and say that they also are taken away from us if Jesus had not paid it all. 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing. We have 10,000 reasons for our hearts to cry. Because this is everything, friends. Jesus paid it all. And if He didn't, then we're in miserable trouble, unending work and unending punishment. But He did pay it all. He did fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. He did go to the cross for you and for me. So let it humble you. And let it give you hope. Let it give you joy. Rejoice that Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. What a Savior.